Hello, everyone, and welcome to another um, podcast uh, of Econorotica. I'm your host, uh, Tom Citrin, alias The Boss Patch. Um, today, I want to do a fairly uh, serious uh, topic. I call it Surviving and Thriving in the 2020s, an investment strategy for post-bubble realists. Um, this is perhaps one of the most important pieces I've, I've spoken about or written about in my four decades of following and commenting on um, the economy and financial markets. Um, even if you disagree with me, please think about these ideas put forward here. Um, it is an action plan uh, based on financial survival. It's based on sound investing principles and an understanding of economic history. In other words, um, I've used sort of my investment uh, knowledge and also I've studied economic history and I went back in time and looked at um, strategies that worked and strategies that were disastrous during times of economic upheaval. So very little of, uh, except for the new uh, investment technology, very little of what I'm going to speak to you today about is really anything new. Um, and I will say that investment strategies that are fantastic during good times, which, you know, frankly, in the last few hundred years has been most times, works great. It's disastrous during really bad times. Um, everything presented has been demonstrated to work in the past during economic catastrophes. Now, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme, although it is a possibility that you will end up in a very strong position after this period is over. And this, and, and like all bad economic periods, this period will be o over at some point. We'll take a lot longer than maybe some people think, and certainly what politicians are telling you. Um, if you really think that any politician out there on the left and right is going to save us from this, then, you know, really, in some ways, I can't help you because, you know, you, you know, and not to insult my audience, but you have a degree of um, naivete that is going to be really tough to get around. Um, also, do not listen to your real estate agents. Do not listen to you, your stockbrokers. They have a vested interest in screwing you over during economic hard times because they don't make money. This is a survival guide to the future. And the question I would ask is, will you be a victim of circumstance, lamenting your sour fate? Or will you take responsibility for your own security and that of your family and friends and come out stronger than ever? Um, please share this information with people you care about. Um, you're more than welcome to um, interact with me at Boss Patch on Twitter. Uh, you can send me a message of some sort or friend me and then ask me for um, a message. Um, I'm, I'm not in the investment advice uh, business anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to charge anyone anything. But, you know, I will be around for clarification if you want to discuss this. And I think ideas are important to discuss also. Um, I also genuinely want to use this platform to help people and um, have them avoid catastrophe. So our economic reality has changed dramatically. Um, we've seen that post-COVID. 
all this, the self-deception of the world will not invalidate this unpleasant fact. Optimism is good, but self-delusion is not. The response to COVID-19 has precipitated the greatest economic catastrophe since the Great Depression of 1929. Uh, the numbers back that up. You can be in self-denial, but it is the truth. You can have an opinion that this whole COVID-19 thing was overblown um, or under under um, appreciated. Really doesn't matter. The the, the point is. The uh, powers that be in most countries, with, I guess, exceptions like um, the Netherlands and Sweden, shut down the economy, uh, creating a devastating effect. Uh, the, the GDP is really about making things, about people working, companies working. If you send home 20 to 30 percent of your workforce, uh, there's just no way you can you know, turn around and say, well, that isn't significant. Now, unlike typical recessions when the economy fully recovered to the previous trajectory over and above pre-recession levels, most of the world economy did not recover to pre-1929 levels until well into the 1950s. So it took about 25 years for the Dow to get back to where it was. Um, I think in the Dow's case, it was in 1954. That's quite a long time. Um, you know, if we project that out and if it's another 25%, uh, sorry, 25-year situation, we're, we're really talking about the mid-century at this point. The Japanese stock market is still below the level it was three years ago when I was in Tokyo as a young man. Um, that indicates... To me, that you know, this whole thing about stock markets go up forever and ever isn't necessarily true. Uh, the financial crisis of 2008 was atypical for a post-war recovery, in that there was no really sharp rebound after the economy, and the economy took far uh, far longer to recover than normal. Um, the reasons for this are subject to debate. Um, I'm kind of um, open-minded and agnostic about it. But it seems like the primary reasons were the poor economic policies of the Obama administration, um, the EU, etc., in general, and the uh, central banks, and the massive accumulation, absolutely massive accumulation of government debt that acted as an anchor on the private sector economy. And what I think is, and I think it's going to act as a real negative going forward. Um, you know, I think if there's any criticism millennials genuinely have about um, baby boomers is that we basically stole from them because we ran up these deficits to fund our lives, our economic lives, and now they're going to have to pay for it in one way or another. Um, I've, I've spoken about this for decades. I think it's categorically unfair. Um, on top of that, and this is kind of a little bit of a side because it's not economic, we also uh, coddled them and, um, you know, a, a sort of weak coddled, almost effeminate um, generation, I think is going to have a harder time coping with the hard times ahead. Having said that, you know, human nature is wonderful and I think the millennials will tough, toughen up. And I think they'll come out of this a really strong generation and, and a generation, frankly, that's better than the baby boomers. 
Um, so to put all this in perspective, the U.S. government debt to GDP ratio was slightly under 60% at the start of the 21st century. Uh, then we had 9/11, you know, and I'm not I'm not getting political in this because it 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 you know I'm I'm not uh, I'm I'm also faulting you know the Bush administration as well as the Obama administration on this. Um, it was it was ridiculous to start two prolonged wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, economically and morally, it was um, it was wrong. Now I could see a situation in Afghanistan where you go in, take down the pal um, the Taliban, and then you get the hell out. You just teach them a lesson, which would have been a lot cheaper and cost a lot less lives. So in only two decades. This number has gone from 60% to 104%. Uh, according to the IMF and some other sources, once you hit 77, you start getting it starts uh, affecting your economy. I don't know how they got out with this that number. Most of what I read was 100. Now I will be honest about this. Some countries have exploded um, or fallen apart with far less than 100, and some like Japan have kind of weathered on weekly, even with much higher. So that is, you know, that 100% is not, you know, it is a little bit, um, you know, I think soft in terms of it's not really a hard number. But we're at 104% today, and we're growing exponentially as the government has seen its tax base shrink as people go without work and corporations go hat, hat in hand to the state. Uh, the, the other thing I'll say is in certain situations, it's a lot worse, and depending on your country. Like, for instance, in Canada, our GDP ratio, our, our GDP, our debt to GDP ratio is slightly under the U.S., but the provinces here uh, incur massive debt. So if you live in Ontario, if you add the Canadian um, government debt to the Ontario debt, we're not in very good shape here. And I, I've seen that, you know, 40 years ago, plus I moved from Quebec to Ontario, and Ontario really was the land of milk and honey. I think next to maybe California, it, it had a, an amazing local economy, and then it just sort of went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, on top of that, Canadians have higher debts than Americans uh, personally. Now, you know, it, it, it's not that Americans are so great off, but Canada has got a lot of debt. And you also have the corporate debts um, on top of that. So now you're having 104, and that's going to go way up um, as the tax base in the United States and other countries shrink as people go without work. Um, as I said, individuals and businesses that were once net contributors to the tax base are now getting government disbursements. So instead of paying taxes, you're now getting your check from the government. So instead of being, you know, paying, if you, you know, $20,000 a year to the government in taxes, you're getting $20,000 a year in um, various uh, social welfare um, schemes. So your net um, effect on the government is minus 40,000. The shutting down of the economy um, going on six months now has created a depression as some economies have seen their GDP fall by 10% in the second quarter. 
Um, that is unprecedented since the depression. Um, this is very serious. In term, this depression has speeded up the day of reckoning with respect to the debt bubble that has been building for decades as central bankers and governments have delayed the inevitable with the hope that they could save the ship from sinking with duct tape and bubblegum. I think they were also praying for, um, frankly, their careers to be over and to die of old age. I think they were also hoping that some technology or some you know, economic genius would come up with a uh, way to get out of this, uh, which hasn't happened. The ship is sinking. It hasn't sh shrunk to the bottom of the ocean yet, but it's at the point where, um, you know, and if you've ever been in a, uh, if you've ever been in a rowboat, you know this, there comes to a point where you can't bail anymore. It's past the point of re no return. There's too much water to be saved. And it's time to head for the uh, lifeboats, or if you're in a if you're in a rowboat, put on your life preserver. Um, now, this article, uh, sorry, this podcast is pretty much that lifeboat. You can stay on the ship and drown um, as the orchestra plays, or you can save yourself and your f family financially, and maybe even physically. However, it will take a modicum of courage a virtue that seems to be in short supply today because people will say you're crazy. Um, you know, misery loves company and, um, the, you know, people will not be happy with you. Now, as reported in the past, um, in our past blog, in our writing, major cities around the world are in decline. Uh, that's true of my old town, Montreal. It's true of Toronto. It's true of my uh, old haunting grounds in New York City. It's true for where I lived in L.A. I'm hearing the same story of uh, friends are telling me who live in London. It's falling apart. Paris, they say it's falling apart. And Rome's falling apart. Um, I have people in Shanghai who tell me it's a shithole. But my understanding is Shanghai was always a shithole. But, you know, my point is these cities do not have great qualities of life. Uh, the populations um, have exploded with pitifully uh, low infrastructure uh, being built to service the additional population. Um, they would rather, governments would rather spend on social welfare programs to get themselves reelected than doing really what they're supposed to do. Uh, but there has been this massive shift into the cities as a percent of population and um, in absolute terms as the population has grown. Uh, in fact, cities have not even spent money on repairing aging or decrepit uh, infrastructure. Um, now, thanks to government debts and tax-based destruction, there's literally no money to rebuild these cities. Uh, the government can always print money, but as you all know, that just creates inflation, doesn't increase the value of uh, anything. In the US, we have the additional problem of wild mobs preventing people from working. Uh, they're burning buildings, they're assaulting and killing people, while feckless and morally corrupt mayors, like in Chicago and Portland, order the police to stand down. Uh, today, the thugs of Antifa and BLM are rioting on the pretext of persecution of black males by police. Um, you know, and that's ostensibly the reason. Uh, I'm not buying that. I think a lot of it is just um, 
um, left-wing provocateurs trying to take down the system. Um, but by winter, people will be, may very well be looting uh, who have forgotten about all these incidents. They'll be looting for food to eat and blankets to warm them as they become homeless. I saw some statistic that something like 30% of uh, um, of renters and a slightly less amount of a percent of of um, um, uh, home buyers, mortgage uh, people with mortgages, were in default. Uh, that's not good. Now everyone has different circumstances. All my recommendations uh, might not apply. Uh, to everyone, but many will apply to most. Um, and you can, see, no matter what your situation, you can get some tidbits out of this. First and foremost, one thing that happens during most periods of economic depression is the decline of most asset prices in real terms. Yes, in a period of hyperinflation, which is certainly possible in the next few years, nominal prices may increase, but they will below the inflation rate. This means, regardless of the rate of inflation, that asset prices will lose purchasing power. Um, the first principle of investing during very difficult times is that cash-slash-liquidity is king. Avoid losing money. So, in other words, if you've doubled your money, if you have $100, you've doubled the money to 200 and then you have an 80% crash, um, you've gone down to, like, $40, and now to get back to 100, you, you literally have to have, I think, um, you know, a huge return of whatever, 250% or whatever it is. I don't have my calculator in front of me. Now, avoid downside risk. That's crucial. If most, if not all, asset prices are going down, then logically only cash remains um, a solvent and maintains its value if inflation rises. Now, some argue that real estate will hold its value, but that really depends. The outlook for um, commercial and residential real estate is poor. Also, in the past, real estate has gotten slaughtered during periods of depression. Yes, real estate held its value in periods of decent, although slow, economic growth, which we call stagflation when there's inflation, but we're clearly not in that type of period. Um, commercial will be hit hard, as most companies realize that given ter uh, current technology, many people can stay home and work more productively and avoid long commutes to increasingly, sorry, to increasingly dangerous cities. Um, commercial real estate like is really expensive. I mean, it's a lot of money to put people in these office towers in Manhattan, in Toronto, in San Francisco in London, um, they c companies can save a lot of money by just having people work home. Um, also, uh, commercial um, and real estate, commercial real estate tend to do very poorly as companies tend to uh, cease business and workers are laid off. Companies who survive seeking to cut costs move out of expensive downtown areas uh, for cheaper rent. Um, in order to save their buildings from foreclosure, because commercial real estate rests on debt um, and, and far more than equity, landlords cut rents, reducing their revenue and market value. Retail real estate is being seriously hurt by Amazon and other major companies that can ship right uh, from warehouses and factories to consumers, 
which cuts out the need to buy storefront. Um, this save co saves costs to the consumer, um, as we know, which is logical. Now, residential real estate in major cities will be hit very, you know, very hard. They're a hard sell, as I say. Our uh, multi-decade trend towards urbanization, if not coming to an end, will see only the poor with no alternative staying or going to cities. Cities have become dangerous. Cities have become poor. They're losing their tax base. There's going to be less jobs for people. Uh, today's chic condos may very well be turned into low-income uh, slums as owners default and governments buy these units cheaply to house a growing homeless population. You know, in, in 2014, you buy a swanky condo uh, by 20, you know, and your next door neighbor is some, uh, you know, some tech guy making a great living. By 2024, uh, you've got a meth lab next to you or a crack house. Uh, homes in the cities or even suburban areas that do not seem safe are best sold. I know that sounds controversial, Real estate, you know, people are telling you real estate's always great, and most of the time they're right, but this ain't that time. Um, we don't, we've ne never had a time when we've had, since the Depression, when we've had this many people unemployed. Uh, prices are currently high compared to income uh, in relative terms, as people, and as people default, prices will crash. Sell now, go into cash. Move to safe rural areas and suburbs. Um, try to find a place with low pro with, that is low profile to avoid violence and robbery. Um, if you must work in a major city, sell your home and rent a room during the week. Go to your safe house uh, from your city by sundown Friday each week and work on ways that you can change jobs and work in a safer place. Um, you really don't want to be subjected to that kind of misery every day. In the event of a serious downturn, past acquaintances may turn up at your, your um, doorstep begging and even demanding food or money. It's best if people have trouble finding you. I know it sounds cruel, but, you know, this is how it's been in human history. Rent and stay liquid since you will be sitting on cash after your house sells. Try and get a long a lease as possible when you rent to protect against inflation. So try to uh, sign a five-year lease. Um, during the inflation of the 1970s, my parents were always fretting every year, not knowing if their rent was going to increase 5% or 12%. Given my father was just a common laborer, um, as was my mother, their wages were low and they were lucky. You know, they very seldom got um, raises commensurate with uh, inflation. So they were really falling behind every year. Um, if you do buy, make sure you buy something cheaper than the house you have right now you, that you sold to conserve cash. Uh, the only real estate that looks like good value right now, in my opinion, is farmland. Ideally, if you could buy a nice property, um, this is for those of you who can, I recognize most can't, buy a nice property with a home um, where you could lease out the land to your your farmer neighbors to grow crops and you could do some profit sharing as well as, you know or charge rent as well as have a small area for yourself to grow food uh, make sure your cash is safe uh, there's various ways to do that none are perfect uh, get an alarm system 
that people don't know about from a vendor you trust or one that doesn't rely on an outside firm because the last thing you need is um, a situation where you hire an outside firm um, somehow they know you have money and then somebody you know uh, um, an unscrupulous employee finds out who has money in their town and they'll know how to get around the they might know how to get around the um, the alarm system uh, so you don't want that now if you're a dog person you can afford it get a couple of trained guard dogs you know they're very you know they're great I love dogs uh, most people like dogs you're gonna you're gonna have room for them and the advantage of them is if you do have an intruder, they will smell that intruder and start barking and scare them away. Um, if you're going to get a dog, get a couple of big dogs. Don't, you know, don't get one of these little chihuahuas or something because barking only does so. You want something that will intimidate people. Now, purchase a firearm in areas where you can. But really make sure you're constantly training with somebody who knows what they're doing and not just target practice. You know, you, you know, guns theoretically should increase your probability of survival, not decrease it. And if you're in a situation where you don't really need guns all that badly and you don't know what you're doing, your chances of shooting yourself or, God forbid, there's a, an accident with your kid is a lot more than any, you, know, you being in a situation where your gun saves your life. So I'm pretty realistic about this. Now spread your cash around to different solid banks and brokers. You know, some banks might end up getting in trouble. Check on, you know, for your local situation, deposit insurance. Emphasize short-term treasury bills. The interest rate on treasury bills will adjust for inflation. So you might get one, you know, zero or half a percent today. But if inflation, let's say, goes to 8%, they will adjust upwards Um, to reflect that. Uh, Bonds won't, but uh, treasury bills will. The interest rate will adjust for inflation, as I said, and, um, you know, if if you're worried, you just let it mature and you take your money. Um, I'm always worried about some form of government confiscation. Um, Don't think that can happen during desperate times. Now, uh, cash might not be the investment best investment, but at least you will still be able to buy food. Um, Buy a good quality home safe, keep cash there, hide it, and don't let anyone except a trusted family member know about it. Um, The government doesn't have to know how much cash you have. That's why they want to go to a cashless society, because they want to know about every transaction you have. Um, They're less likely to confiscate part of your money um, through some sort of wealth uh, tax if they don't know about it or can't find you. Um, If somebody asks you where the proceeds of your home sale went, have a cover story ready about how you lost it or you didn't have much in the first place. Tell them you remortgaged the house and had to live on it so you didn't take out any equity. Uh, hell, you know what? Go to the local casino or to Vegas a couple of times and say you blew it on uh, on gambling and drugs and hookers. Um, a lot of people do that anyway. Um, so do that. Now, gold and silver uh, are likely to do very well. Um, there's also palladium and platinum. I don't know enough about those two to recommend them, um, so I'll leave it to your own research. Accumulate it now before the price explodes. Now, gold and silver has gone up since the lockdown. 
Um, but I think we're kind of, uh, right now, if I use a football analogy, we're at the two-minute two warning um, of the first quarter. We're very early in the game. And even if gold doesn't do well and silver doesn't do well, at least they'll maintain their value and their, um, they've always been money. Um, they do... Those assets do perform well in periods of inflation and deflation, um, so you do that. Now, although it's not technically investment, uh, one should have a year's supply of non-perishable food on hand. Again, keep your mouth shut about it. Uh, the main reason is obvious, since food prices will increase as supply chains break down, um, and you might not have access to cheaper food. However, there's another good reason to stock up on food. Food may become a de facto currency. You can trade excess food for important commodities, and as the value of nourishment uh, skyrockets due to scarcity, a hungry person might be delighted to trade for a can, you know, a case of canned chili uh, for more than you think it's possible right now. You're not exploiting them. Uh, you very well might be saving their life. If you have stocks, sell them, but beware of taxes. The mar market is grossly overpriced relative to the underlying economy. If you look at the total value of the S&P 500 and even all stocks relative to GDP, it's really high now. Now, the central bankers and governments will not be able to prop up their buddies in Wall Street forever. Um, depending on your tax situation, you may want to liquidate and withdraw your capital. If your tax situation makes it difficult, sell your stocks um, and buy treasury bill exchange traded funds with some commodity exposure. Um, there's a very important demographic consideration here. Baby boomers are retiring in droves. Soon they'll be followed by generation Xers. As they retire, uh, they will be selling their homes and liquidating their pensions and tax-deferred retirement accounts. That will put pressure on home and stocks for years to come. Frankly, millennials will not be able to offset selling pressure as the economic outlook over the next decade is poor. Uh, we also do not have enough young people, thanks to decades of low birth rates, um, Immigrants won't be able to pick up the slack, especially if they have poor economic opportunities. So we're not going to be able to immigrate uh, our way out of this. Um, government bonds in particular have a really poor outlook. The 10-year government treasuries yield about half a percent to 1% as we speak. Uh, this is below inflation. German bonds yield about minus one-half percent. Obviously, yields cannot go much lower. Um, now, remember, as bond yields rise, the price of a bond declines uh, more than you would think. There is only so low interest rates can go. Conversely, rates can go up, especially if inflation uh, rises and lenders demand more risk on their on their demand more return. Sorry, on their risk assets as. Um, the sovereign credits like the United States, Canada, Britain, uh, France, etc., etc., decline in credit rating, as you think they should as their debts accumulate. Um, we could easily see a 20% drop in 10-year bond prices, 
and even a fall of um, much more than that in longer term assets. The outlook for corporate bonds is even worse. Not only are they subject to the same interest rate risk as government bonds, but corporate balance sheets will deteriorate um, as the economy struggles. Corporate managements fueled by greed, selfishness, and shareholder pressure bought shares back after the last downturn and levered up their balance sheet with cheap debt. So their balance sheets are not as in good shape as they should have been. Now, that was great for stock market investors as it raised earnings per share by decreasing the amount of shares open to the, you know, uh, available to the, to the market. Senior managers got rich off this. They were rewarded handsomely because they don't get paid to improve the company. They get paid to build the earnings per share. That's crucial. Um, they're going to walk away into the sunset very rich. However, um, now many firms that will face a poor economy with balance sheets weak that are weak, um, this is going to be serious. Some of these corporate bonds, in my opinion, may trade on pennies on the dollar in the not-so-distant future. So to be succinct, we came up with 10 principles to survive the next decade or longer. Um, if we do have a miraculous return to prosperity or, or bad times will end as they always do, you will be cash rich and in a position to buy assets cheap and prosper. Many fortunes have been built after um, economic upheaval because people, some people were smart enough or lucky enough to accumulate cash be patient, and they went in and re-entered the market at some point. At some point, you will have to re-enter the market, unless you're very old and you're going to die. Um, but there will be an opportunity going forward to get back as the system is cleansed out. Um, now, remember, others will be broken, desperate. So, you know, keep your head. Um, now, so the 10 principles, the conclusion is, number one, cash is king. Number two, sell or reduce risk assets like stocks and bonds, especially corporate debt. Um, fire your stockbroker. Number three, fire your stockbroker and switch to exchange-traded funds affiliate, affiliated with strong, solvent firms. Four, sell your home in dangerous cities, rent in safe and quiet places. Five, if you do buy real estate with proceeds of the city home, um, buy for less and save the cash difference. Six, avoid commercial real estate. Only agricultural land and homes in quiet communities have value. Seven, buy commodities, especially gold, silver, and other precious metals. Um, eight, avoid conspicuous consumption. The less people know about your financial position, the better. Less likely you are of the government or somebody else trying to take that away or steal it. Um, nine, adopt a mindset of self-protection. Live where you are difficult to find if possible. Keep at least six months of perishable food, if not more, on hand. Have some type of security system. Uh, remember, avoiding trouble is better than fighting for your life. Ten, remember that eventually things will get better. Use your accumulated cash to buy cheap assets in the future. Um, again, if you would like to ask me any questions, feel free to get in touch with me through Twitter, Bosspatch, B-O-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W-W
double S P A T C H. Uh, one final thing is I recognize a lot of people don't have homes, they're just renters, but a lot of these principles still apply. Um, just be very careful out there and you will get through this. Again, thank you very much for tuning in.